What is up with these folks in this reading? Is a little water or the lack thereof really going to stand in their way? The same might be asked of us. Jesus has said he is with us until the end of the world. Do you doubt it? It is easy to do. Christ is leading us through a wilderness. We are looking to the future for the rest that comes at the end of the Exodus, the entering of the promised land. Hi, this is Pastor John Edding. Thank you for listening to the Sand Hills Lutheran Ministry Podcast. Let's get to today's sermon entitled, The Lord is Among Us. Well, let us pray. Join me in prayer, please. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side, which flowed, be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Amen. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Some friends were hiking in the desert in Texas a desert part of Texas in the National Park. Now, they were trusting a map and the advice of a ranger, and they expected to find a water at a certain point in the hike. But when they arrived at the indicated point, they discovered no water. The, the, the next couple of days were dangerous. They, they conserved uh, what they had, and they, they, they were blessed to encounter other hikers who shared some of their water with them. But they found out just how painful, debilitating it can be to have no water in the desert. And they nearly died. Have you ever been thirsty? Uh, Not just a little thirsty, but dangerously dehydrated. Okay, have you ever noticed what happens when you don't get enough water? You, you confuse thirst for hunger. Uh, and then what happens? Well, then you eat, and when you don't need to eat, and what's that mean? Well, weight gain. <laughs> well, seriously, though, when throttled by thirst, you become dizzy and anxious. Uh, your joints get and muscles, they start to ache, and what's that mean? Well, a bad life. (laughs) For 430 years, the Israelites living in Egypt lived near the Nile River. They never experienced a water shortage, and even when God's people left Egypt, they had no problems with water. Needed to form into walls? Hey, no, no problem. Needed to come crashing down on Pharaoh's horses and... Chariots, you know, easy as pie. Um, All this changes, though, in our reading of Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And so I invite you to have that open before you in your Bible or in the bulletin. The leader of the Israelites is Moses. Okay, I like the name of uh, one commentator that I read um, that he gives to Moses. He called Moses, he says, is the wonderful wizard of waterworks. As a child, his mother places him into water for safety. And then Pharaoh's daughter finds him, draws him out of water for salvation. And that's what Moses means. It means to draw out of water. 
Then Zipporah. Uh, Moses met Zipporah at, at a well. Zipporah, who would soon be his wife, describes Moses in Exodus 2, verse 17, and Moses then opens, uh, gets the, the well uh, opened so that she could draw water. And she describes Moses, uh, Zipporah does, with the words loosely translated. When it comes to drawing water from a well, Moses is a lean, mean, green aqua machine. And at the Red Sea, again, it's Moses who parts the sea with his staff. And while Exodus 15, 25, so that's just a couple chapters right before our reading for today, reports that when confronted with bitter water, Moses then throws a piece of wood into this putrid water, uh, and presto, instant purified water of God. Um, God was behind the man, but the Lord then worked through the, this mediator, Moses, the wonderful wizard of water works. In verse 1, though, we, in our reading, we read, but there was no water for the people to drink. Well, the peace, people are thirsty. The, the Israelites were camped there. They'd been in the uh, desert for a month. They camped at Rephidim. We don't know exactly where that is, though. But we, they have seen nothing, though, but rocks and sand and dirt. Rocks, sand, and dirt. And they longed for water. And they were angry. Why do we, be, why do we become so thirsty? The, uh, then comes the four words, it might have been. And that's what the Israelites were saying to Moses in Exodus uh, Chapter 17, verse 3. You brought us out up out of Egypt. Translation. <laughs> it might have been so much better if we had stayed in Egypt. It might have been. One uh, 19th century poet has written, of all the sad words of the tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. Regret. God-awful, soul-destroying regret and regret that leads to anger. Now, I've heard of uh, being hungry and angry combined is been described as hangry, right? But they are thirsty and they're angry and thangry. Yes, that works. <laughs> so they were thangry with Moses. The children of Israel see a present and clear danger to their lives, to their families, their whole community. Uh, but, they note, but notice what they don't do. They don't turn to God's wonderful wizard of waterworks. He's, he's done it before. Why are they so angry? Why are they quarreling with him? They almost want to pick up one of those rocks from Rephidim and throw them at him. And they could have just turned to him and just asked him to, hey, Moses, do your thing. But they don't. And then they don't trust in, in they don't put their trust in God who had who had already rescued them from Pharaoh at the Red Sea, or who's feeding them every morning at this point with manna. They accuse Moses of being a bad leader and of God trying to kill them. So they grumble, they complain, 
they hardened their hearts toward Moses and toward their Lord, and especially the Lord. And they doubt the Lord's presence among them in this desert drear. They only see sand and dirt and rocks, no water. Their outcry really can be summed up in that last verse of our reading. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? What's up with these folks in this reading? Is a little water or a lack thereof really going to stand in their way? Knowing what we know about Moses and God providing? Well, the same might be asked of us. Jesus has said that he will be with us until the end of the world. Do you doubt it? Well, it it is easy to do. There are two ways to doubt God's presence um, in in our lives that, that come to mind here based on this reading. First of all, your life, my life, is often overwhelmed by its daily realities. And what I, mean, what I mean is this, chasing after the needs of daily living can be relentless. Doing this week after week then stretches you out thin. And you might have no sense then that you are engaged in some great spiritual, even cosmic battle for what is good or true. You just need gas for the car, clothes for your children, food for your table. Your roof may be leaking, your bank account running low, and you have bills to pay. And you lift up your eyes to the heavens, and all you see are the clouds which threaten another dreary day in your part of the world. And the everyday can fill our spiritual horizon, so we are blinded, so we forget that Jesus is There, he's here, he's with you. The people of Israel seem to fall prey to that one as well. And along with the Israelites, you and I say, is the Lord among us or not? Here's another way that we could doubt God's presence, the Lord's presence in our lives. We can look at what is wrong in the world and come to the conclusion that, well, Jesus cannot be there here if things are so bad. If God is hiding himself, well, he's done a good job. Uh, You might say, too good of a job. The world seems to be self-destructing. You might want to go back to simpler realities. Uh, Times when you knew at least who were men and, and who were women. The Israelites might have thought that their whole world had been turned upside down as they were walking there, fangry in the dry wilderness. The world is self-destructing. Along with the Israelites, you and I say, is the Lord among us or not? Let's go back to our reading to mark how God responds to their doubt and their rebellion. God does not react to their lack of faith with what they deserve. Let's point that out. He sends Moses with a staff not to punish them, but to strike a rock and bring forth the water they need. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Moses did. And the water flowed. And the Israelites lived. 
And Asaph even includes the miracle in one of his psalms, Psalm 78. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Understand that this rock will be with Israel for a long time. Forty years later, once again, God will provide water from it. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 20. Moses later then looks back to the Lord's presence and the Lord's leading and the Lord providing water for thirst in his words in Deuteronomy 8.15, where he writes, The Lord who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. This was no ordinary rock. Paul, for his part, he asserts this, that the rock was Christ. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. And they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. She was the last person you would expect the holiness of God um, to seek out um, unless he was looking to punish and make an example of someone. But Jesus draws the Samaritan woman out to talk to him and he will expose her sins and lay them bare, but he does so in order to forgive them. He does not need to judge the Samaritan woman. He does not need to judge her life. She has already done it. Her neighbors have already done that. What she needs to hear is that God loves her anyway. And her life still has meaning and purpose in his kingdom. And Jesus said to her, John chapter 4, verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So she exchanged false dreams and heartaches for a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus promised her, and whoever drinks from him will never thirst again. And he never told a lie. On Good Friday, the rock of ages was cleft. You see, in our reading, the rock must be split and opened. It was cleft, cleaved, split apart, water flowed. The Israelites lived. On Good Friday, the rock must be split and opened. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out water and blood. Water. Water flowing from the one who, whose body burns under the hot Palestine sun. Gushing water from the parched mouth of the one who cries out, I thirst. Strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And they did, and it flowed, and we live. We live. We live, yes, we live. At, but we live in Rephidim, Rephidim, in a dehydrated, dry wilderness world. So we need to walk a narrow path to reach this promised land of heaven. The Lord is, though, among us. You are not alone. 
We sing the song at Rafidim as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God, my soul thirst for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That is Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2. At Rephidim, we echo David's anguish in in Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The Lord is among us. You are not alone. Behold, I will stand before you. It's easy to miss that phrase in verse 6 of our reading. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So yes, you may doubt Christ's presence when you are overwhelmed by the daily realities of life, yet God is there. He's in the water of your baptism, the quavering. He's there in the quavering voice of the old woman who forgives you. The blessings of food and home and spouse and family, God is there, subtly and sometimes hidden, but he's there. Behold, I will stand before you. And whenever you look at what is wrong in the world, then remember, God does not lead you back. He leads you forward. He will steer you and I out of the cesspool of contemporary culture, but it won't be back to the days that you and I long for. You know, as I reflect on it, those days weren't so great either. He leads us toward a promised land. Behold, I will stand before you. The outcry of the Israelites was, is the Lord among us or not? The answer is a definite yes. Yes, the Lord is among us. And he's leading us through a wilderness and into a promised land. And we do need to walk a narrow path and through difficult things to reach that promised land. But he's told us, and he has told us it will be this way. We walk with a joyful and determined hope, though. God has promised And his promise is sure. It's sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.